School CEO Conversations is an Aptogy Media production. We like to have insightful conversations with education's most inspiring and thoughtful leaders. In this episode, The Red Thread of Racial Equity, we talk with Dr. Tammy Campbell, Superintendent of Washington's Federal Way School District. Here is today's host, Michael. Dr. Campbell, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you. I'm excited about the conversation, Michael. Well, to get started, obviously equity and especially racial equity has been a topic that's come up a lot over the last year. But I know you at Federal Way, when you joined the district in 2015, this was something that you actually started addressing, specifically racial equity, pretty much right away. And so I wanted to know why, even back in 2015, why racial equity for you was something that you felt like needed to be almost like this primary driver for the district. The answer to that question is multifaceted. The first starts from as an African-American woman who grew up in the South and in a predominantly Black school where my teachers were literally my sheroes and heroes and they believed in me. And I watched how so many of us went on to do great things. And I realized early on the power of what teachers can do for young people. And then to go on in education and then be in environments that were not predominantly black or people of color to be largely white institutions where you were hearing a lot of conversation around achievement gaps and how certain groups weren't performing. That just didn't jive with my lived experiences. I had lived in a way, grown up in a way where teachers really closed gaps and allowed scholars to do great things. And so right away, I said, this can be done differently with different results because I had my own past as a proof point. So Federal Way was my third district actually working in. And I had been in other districts where we did equity works. And specifically, it was a a large district on the east side of the mountains where we had been doing some of that work. And so when the board hired me, the first thing I did during that interview with the board was to see if those were values that the board had. And they did. The board talked a lot about equity. So I knew that I would have support from the school board. And the district had been doing what I call precursor equity work. And so there was just a readiness for it. But I also saw this as the fundamental strategy to ensuring every single scholar in the school district was successful. I didn't see it as a topic to cover or something you do just because it's an issue or conflict. It was the way that I was going to go about large scale improvement was to have equity as a red thread throughout all of our strategies. And when you look at the districts that you've worked in previously and like federal way where you've been successful in addressing racial equity, and then you compare them to districts that have really struggled, what do you feel like is the difference between those type of districts? Yeah, that's a great question. To me, there is a clear sort of bifurcation. In districts that you hear things like, we want scholars to be safe. We don't want there to be issues. We're going to make sure that we tolerate certain groups. It's more of a reactive kind of topical approach to equity versus the way we think about it. We want our scholars to thrive. We want to break down every possible barrier or gap that would create opportunity gaps for scholars. We want to be proactive. We want scholars to graduate and walk out of our system with every possible opportunity. And we don't want race or zip code or class or any other exceptionality to be a predictor of that. And we name it and we call it and we talk about it. And more importantly, in the districts that are proactive, 
it's a part of the culture. It's not just a sort of a phase or a season. It is the way you do things. And when you walk into the schools across the district, although buildings are different places, everybody recognizes this as a goal and a focus. So when you say it's the way you do things, that sounds pretty different from some of the things you maybe alluded to earlier about like being a program or being something that you have a session on. And so in districts that have struggled with this, where do they typically go wrong or what maybe idea around it is holding them back? I think people have to see this. You know, I've done some teaching at the university where we talk about leadership. Fundamentally, education leaders, and since this is the sector we're talking about, I'll really focus on education. We have to understand that leadership is not leadership and culturally responsive or leadership and DEI. DEI is leadership. It's one and the same. And districts that understand that build in what I call long-term plans. There is a three to five year plan of professional development for race and equity or equity or social justice. And they run that PD for every person throughout the organization. You see the board doing learning on it. You see staff doing learning on it. And you see it being celebrated and talked about all throughout the district. So there is a culture, a shared vocabulary. There is just a culture that's disaggregating data. So that to me is what you would see. The pitfall is to think you're going to do a book study and then people are going to have some awareness. And then that's as far as you go because it is awareness and action. You actually have to have, I believe, goals that measure how are you getting closer to racial equity? And that's usually by surveying scholars, surveying families. That's looking at your data disaggregated to see that you're seeing those gaps closing, that we often are the ones creating and it's not the scholars. That when you survey staff and get perception surveys from families, people feel like school is a place where they can thrive. And I think that those are the differences. One is more this book study approach or a one-off. The other challenge, or sometimes I can see what happens, they'll get one or two people of color and they're driving the work, but you don't see a multiracial team working on it. And so in federal way, our equity department, we have shifted to one that has seven people and it's white, black, Latino. They're all working together. Our athletics department, our counselors, our family liaisons, they have different responsibilities too. They're not just literally equity alone, but they are all equity officers, meaning they're being trained on it. And then when they go out to do training, folks see that there is this allyship of our people of color and folks who are not people of color talking about it together because people of color didn't get us into this pickle. This was something that was created a while back to suppress people of color. So it stands to reason we should have white allies and other leaders in partnership and out in front talking about the work. And that's another thing we pay attention to in our school district. So you said this is leadership, right? This isn't just a facet, like this is 100% part of you as a leader. So when you're thinking about leadership and you're thinking about a district leader, what qualities and what attributes are necessary for that leader to build that culture that you talked about? Well, if you're specifically thinking about equity, I think at its core, you have to have a deep value for equity and you have to have a fundamental belief in the potential and greatness of every single child in your school district. 
And say you are not a person of color, but you have that value and you're starting to hear things about how different groups may not feel valued. If you have that belief, you're going to take the learning and run with it and be a champion for it. Because I don't think you just have to be a person of color to drive this work, but you do have to have a fundamental belief in the greatness of all children. If somehow you believe that some kids are going to make it and some aren't, I don't see how that person can become a champion for equity. So I think fundamental is that. I think the other component of successful leaders who then understand how to do this work at scale, I believe it's about systems work. Meaning if I have this idea, how do I have a theory of action that allows it to play out across all schools? Doesn't mean every school's in the same place working on the work, but they are all working on the work. And so you create a system for that. And one example is like our principal professional learning. We pull all our principals together, we're reading casts right now. Some principals are gonna go back to that school and use what they're learning in a different way than the other. But the expectation is that they all go back and do something with it. That's what I mean about a systems approach. So this isn't something that some can decide to do and others cannot because the 23,000 plus scholars in the school district are at all those schools. And I don't have the luxury as superintendent of sort of saying, well, if these scholars don't get it, I can live with that. No, it's about saying systemically, what is it we want all of our leaders to do and how do we empower, support, and give them the professional development for that? And I think that's a big part of what that looks like. And when you say that this is about making sure all scholars can be successful, I mean, that sounds like it's the core of what being an educator is. And so it sounds like if you're going to be an educator, then having a heart for equity essentially has to be a part of that. It has to be, it has to be. And then you have to, if you really have a heart for it, like for me, I don't know that I could sleep at night if I was doing something that only impacted the schools where maybe someone chose to do it. I'm responsible for all the schools. So that's why the systems approach is to me, it's braided so closely with my moral imperative. When you talk about that systems approach, what I really like is how you use the word like red thread. I mean, this is something that is done throughout the entire district. It's from, from you all the way down to everyone that works in the organization. But how do you get all of those people aligned to move in that direction? Well, here's the big idea. If everybody was moving in that direction, you would need to make it a direction. <laughs> so it's going to be hard, first of all. And that's why it's important that you think about it as a marathon and not a sprint. And that's why for us, we've been on this journey now for five and a half years, almost six years. You can't do this as a one-shot wonder, right? So that's where that long-term PD plan is because it's going to be something that they hear over and over again. I most recently was out in schools and I do this thing where if we have new principals that are interim principals, we go out and I do a personal listening session. And when I first started doing them, I could hear still each building talking about the work in sort of different ways. And this year when I went out, I could hear them saying, well, you know, this doesn't align with our equity work. And why would we be doing that? Or Dr. Campbell, this particular strategy is good for the equity. They're telling me this now. But had I in that first year when groups were like, well, that's not right. Why are we talking about this? This isn't something we need, or it's just Dr. Campbell. And that's another pitfall. When you're a person of color leading the work, people think that you're leading the work because you're a person of color. And a part of it is my lived experiences that teach me that this is important. But a other part of it is I'm an educator and I see what the data says, and we need to do better by all of our scholars. One of the most important things that I believe you should be paying attention to is that shift in culture. 
where most of the people in the school system now, because of our long-term PD plans, because when we pull principals together, we do similar things with them that they do with their staff, because the board and I, for example, are reading a book right now. We just finished our reading on how to be anti-racist. Now we're reading CAST, and we do that in a public way. We're sponsoring the work because all of our schools have scholar advisories where each principal's meeting with 20 to 25 young people who are diverse and they're asking them questions about the data and they're posing questions about what it's getting in the way. And because we do these things that are in common, that is what's pushing it throughout the whole system, as opposed to just me reading a book study with my cabinet and praying that somehow it seeps down. You've got to take bold and courageous actions that are happening at every school. And what we know is some buildings are going to be farther along than others, but they're in the water. They're swimming. They might not be side by side, but we're all swimming in this water of equity and becoming more socially just as a school district. So there were two things there that I wanted to touch on. So I'll break them up a little bit because you mentioned this before the data aspect and you talked about how like you really do have to measure everything. And I think that really shows that systems aspect that this is not just about like how much you care. You really do have to have a plan and you really do have to think about things from an organizational perspective that caring is great, but there's also that other side of it. So when you're looking at that data, what data are you looking at? I mean, I know obviously things like graduation rates get you know talked about a lot. Yeah. So like, what exactly are you looking at when you're looking at that data? So I want to just say, because data can be such a big word. Data to me is how do you measure your vision? That's as simple as I would describe it. And so when I first came, I had our team talk about what would it look like in the ideal in four to five years if what we were trying to accomplish for all scholars and specifically with equity in mind, what would that look like? And that was the basis of what we call our theory of action. So we describe what students would be doing. And then if students were doing that, what would teachers be doing? And then what would principals be doing? And then based on that, what would central office be doing to help principals help teachers so that scholars can be successful? Sort of that if-then statement. And I know that sounds pretty kind of robotic, but man, that thing drives everything. And it is what we live by it. But the vision you have for scholars, and in it, we'll talk about like scholars feeling belonging. That's one thing that's in that statement. If you look at our strategic plan, we actually measure that. There's goal two, and we talk about scholars who feel this sense of belonging and safety. And we have a panorama survey that we survey that. We do measures for that. There's other surveys that talk about are they challenged? And so we do a survey where we ask scholars that. There's a piece we measure around college and career readiness, where we look at graduation rates, but we also look at persistence data and we look at their transcripts. So what you hear me describing is multiple measures that are both quantitative and qualitative. So although the state test doesn't capture that, all these other measures that we use do. We also measure things like the percentage of their families who come to student-led conferences. We're now, for the first time in the last couple of years, we've been about 98, 99%. That's another metric. These are equity metrics. These are not just quantitative state test metrics. And so the perception of our scholars, the perception of our families, their feeling of belonging, their experiences beyond that are measured as a collective to tell us if we're moving in the right direction. And then what's really important is to disaggregate that data by different groups and to see that we're closing those gaps. And when you look at our graduation data, for example, and to see our black and brown scholars, all but the gap is closed with our white and Asian scholars as one measure, that's important. 
Now, I will tell you, we've got areas we need to improve upon. So when we look at our discipline data in our elementary schools, we're seeing disproportionate discipline for our Black students. And this past year, elementary schools had goals of really lowering that disproportionality. And we're starting to see that because what gets measured gets done. And our principals are focusing in on that. So it's not like we have it all figured out, but because we have a culture where we're reading and learning about racial equity and we're constantly talking about it, we've made it normal to talk about what's race got to do with this? How are your black and brown students doing? What are we doing to make sure they're thriving and successful? And what strategies are we going to use to do that? So I wanted to know how you go about incorporating scholar voice when you are working in what is I mean, one a really diverse district but also a really large district as well so i have had a scholar advisory for the last four years and it's been about 60 students and i meet with them once a month and the reason i wanted to do that is that i felt they would be the best sort of thermometer on how we were moving forward on our goals in fact when we built our strategic plan six years ago, we convened about a hundred students and we asked them, what did they think of our goals? They gave us input. We added a goal, listening to them. And it's a hallmark, I believe, of what I think should be at the core of what we do. And the reason I think that is, there's a quote that in my dissertation, my doctorate was on scholar voice, but there's a quote that I repeated this a lot in our system, but it says, how long are we going to continue to build and rebuild our school systems without once connecting with the people it was intended to serve our children? And I've forgotten who made that quote, but it's another, it wasn't mine. And that quote really speaks to what I think is missing in education. We don't really seriously consult with scholars. And so the scholars that I met with did things like that first couple of years, I asked them, what does it look like in a classroom when teachers are really reaching you and making a difference? And they put it up on chart paper and we made a video of that. And I sent that video out to all staff. I asked them to do things like they look at data and they tell us what they think the data is saying about their peers. They give us feedback on school construction projects. They have created an award called Because of You Award, where they recognize teachers who are making a difference for them. The scholars at each school nominate the teacher. Then the scholars on the school board read the winners, the people who are selected, the teachers who are selected at board meetings. And so we give our scholars in federal way real work. And I told our team, we don't convene scholars unless we intend to actually act upon it. This summer, a group of scholars came to me and they said, Dr. Campbell, we think the district's doing a reasonably good job on being anti-racist, but you can do a better job. And so I met with a few of them and then I convened a larger group. We have a group of scholars at our high schools called Students Organized Against Racism. And this is because of our affiliation with the Pacific Education Group, Glenn Singleton's organization. And that's where I'm modeling to my building principles. I don't just listen to scholars even when they're saying things that might not be positive. They were saying, we are not doing enough. And I did, we brought them to the school board. I've had them to work amongst themselves to create a PowerPoint after they had their key talking points that they shared. And those scholars shared, they wanted to see themselves in the curriculum. They wanted us to hire more diverse teachers. They wanted to see fairness and discipline and they put it out there. And as a result of that, right now, our curriculum department is looking at a K-12 curriculum that we're offering. I've asked my HR department, which they were already looking at how we continue to hire 
a diverse workforce, but we've got some more what I call aggressive plans for that. And I intend to convene that group at the end of the year to tell them, here's what's come of that. So I think that's the kind of thing you must do if you're going to be engaging scholars. You can't just listen to them and then move on. You have to authentically listen. And everything they ask, you may not be able to do, but you owe it to them to circle back and say, here's how we're changed because of your voice. And how do you go about selecting scholars to be involved, whether that's with you or at the individual school level? Because I know a lot of schools, right, they'll have maybe students on the school board, but they're the student body president, they're the students that are involved in everything, and they have straight A's, things like that. They're not necessarily representative of the experience of every student in the district. So how do you go about making sure that that happens? couple things. So the scholars that are on the scholar advisory to me range from scholars who might be in danger of dropping out to scholars who are very successful. And every school gets up to three people who are on the advisory. That's the first thing I'll tell you. And at the school level, we've talked to the principals and given them the criteria that their advisory needs to reflect the diversity academically, racially, on all aspects of their school. You know, and I will often get videos or pictures of these advisories, and you can see that they do. We're already a very diverse district. We're the most diverse district in the state of Washington with 117 languages, give or take. And that diversity is reflected on these advisory groups. And what's interesting about our school board reps, again, the school board reps, they come from the superintendent advisory group. And the reason that is important is that the reps who are on my advisory, the scholar rep to the superintendent, every week they write a report about what's going on at their school, the highs and the lows. They send that report to the board advisors, the board reps, every week. And then those board reps read it and they create a report about what's happening in the district. And that's what I think is unique about the way we do it in federal way. Because in some districts, it's just two students who are on the board and they're often telling their story. These scholars aren't doing that. They're reading the reports of, you know, 40, 50 scholars and coming up with patterns and red threads. And then they read that and share that information. So that's how we're sure we're getting true, authentic voice. And they will say things like the scholars, you know, we've been a remote. Some scholars are tuned out. They're tired of being a remote. They like breakout rooms. They want to know how they're reading this at the board meetings. We don't filter it. We let that authentic voice actually happen. So I wanted to move on a little bit because we talked about how this is really, I mean, a culture, right? This is something that is woven and threaded throughout the entire organization, but When you're looking at the organization, obviously a huge part of the culture is the people that you bring in and people you have there. So how do you ensure that when you're bringing new people into the district that they're just as bought in on this mission that maybe because they haven't been through that marathon like you talked about that other people have been through? That's a very good question. And I think HR is a critical component. So the second year that I became superintendent, I worked with the HR chief at that time to create a question bank of questions focused specifically on equity and our interviews of anybody, we should have two good questions that get at that. And that does a couple things. It signals to the applicants, it's a value. It signals to the people sitting on the interview panel, it's a value. It's often a PD or professional learning just to hear how people answer in their experiences. You know, we might ask a candidate who's coming in as a principal, tell us how you closed opportunity gaps. Give us a one or two success stories. We will often lead with, we're working to be an anti-racist organization. Tell us what successes you've had in this area. I mean, we will ask pretty direct questions about that. So that signaling is important. 
And the other thing that I would say is that we work closely through our leadership academy, which is our pipeline work, where we're developing our administrators and we're pulling teacher leaders, coaches, deans, and there is content in there focused on some of the readings we're doing with our principals around race equity, cultural competency, and social justice. So it's multifaceted how we go about that work. And then the other way is our job postings. All of our job postings were redone and we looked at them through an eye of racial equity and you'll see it in the actual job qualifications. You'll see the kinds of things that would say to someone, this is a value that we have. And folks who don't resonate with that, we don't bring them on. Well, and I feel like a lot of that too is going to be somewhat self-selecting. If I'm uncomfortable with that, or if that's not my passion, I'm going to see that and I'm probably going to not apply, right? So I'm you're actually helping me as an applicant not get into a district that's going to be a culture that I'm not going to want to be a part of. That's exactly right. That's why I call it signaling. We're signaling this is what our value is. So most people will see that signal and go, I don't want to, or I can't wait to get in. So I wanted to jump back to something that you talked about pretty early on about how you brought up racial equity with the board. And that was something that you saw was really a priority for them and that they were also committed to the work. So I wanted to know how important is the board's role in accomplishing this work? I mean, do you need them to be fully on board or is this something that you can do without them? I think the board is critical to this. I really do. I don't think the board has to, for example, know all the books or texts, but remember that value statement I said, the board has to have a fundamental belief in all scholars. They have to, at a very basic level, believe that every scholar can achieve and that if they're not achieving, there are things the district can do better for them to achieve. Well, if that's a belief they have, then they should be open to this idea about learning about equity, which because equity really is about how do we provide access and opportunity and remove barriers that has been historically in place and has prevented some children from achieving? And so when you have that belief, and then this is what you're learning about, it should just be like, yes, let's do it. So for example, this board hadn't done the book studies that we're doing. And this board, by the way, this year is Large School Board of the Year. They were selected by the state organization, WASDA, their peers. And I think a large part of that is the work that we've been doing in this area. But the board didn't start out reading this. It was just leaders who were on that board. And the board I have now is not the board that hired me by and large. Only two of those board members are still here. But that board wanted to grow and learn in this area. And they were very supportive. Now, if I didn't have that, and I had a board who may have been opposed to it, imagine what's happening when I'm we're reading and talking about this. And then maybe a parent isn't supportive and they come at the board and they say this and they push on it, that can create sort of this doubt maybe amongst some administrators about how far they can go with this, if they're not going to get supported, if there's opposition. And in our system, that doesn't happen. The other thing that's important to note is our board would come to some of the trainings that the Pacific Education Group did. Our board would come and sit in on that. And they did a retreat with the board and I. And then when the board did a policy refresh, they went back in and went and looked at each policy and then enhanced the language of equity in our policies. And we're a policy governance board. They're very clear about the roles of the board and the superintendent. But they went back and sort of reimagined, revised those policies to lift up the language of equity and racial equity, which was something that was very helpful. So I think it's going to be very tricky or 
challenging for a superintendent to lead this work if the board's not supportive. The board doesn't have to be experts. They just have to have a heart for all children. And when you have a heart for our children, you know the results are showing you haven't met their needs. You're going to be open to learning what you need to learn to do so. You mentioned that you actually rewrote policies and rewrote evaluation standards for you as superintendent based on this as well. And that's one of the things that really struck me about your approach is that it really is about creating like long-term change in an organization where you know, you're going to have teachers, you're going to have principals, you're going to have superintendents move around, leave, come and go, same thing with board members. But it sounds like you really are trying to essentially rework every aspect of the district to align it with equity. And it sounds like you have to do that entire work around the entire organization. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. I think it's twofold. One is how do you create deep and lasting cultural change? And I think the thing that I believe we're trying to accomplish is a culture shift. To me, culture is what are people talking about? What are the norms of their behavior? Are they desegregating data? Are they talking about how uh, scholars are showing up? And what are we doing that either makes school invitational home game or an away game where they feel like they don't belong, there's no meaning or meaningful curricular experiences. They don't feel like they belong. Well, to do that, you got to do deep work. You can't just do what I call this one-shot wonder. You have to do deep work. And then secondarily, when you do that, it is hardwired in the organization and it is not person-specific because culture change means the people have shifted, not a project. And when new people come in, if the bulk of the people still hold this, that's how you actually onboard new folks. That's what I was so excited about when I told you I'd gone out to those schools and they were telling me about what the culture was. And it was nice, almost telling me, Dr. Campbell, this is not good enough for us. You know, and I just thought, wow, that is what we're talking about. Because any person telling you right now they know how to exactly, within a year, every scholar is going to be at this level, it's too complex. Each student is different. But if you tell me I got a culture that will grapple with it, that's what we want. We want that culture shift where I can go to a school to say, if I'm visiting a professional learning community of teachers, how are your black and brown students doing? And they don't look up at me as if they're afraid to talk or they're offended that I asked. Oh, they would say, you know, we've been doing some reading on culturally responsive teaching. And, you know, one of the things that we noticed from the last PD, that's what I want, because that is a culture that can tackle the challenge. So just to wrap up, Dr. Campbell, thinking back on your time at Federal Way, what has been your proudest moment so far? I would say knowing that every year, because of the cultural shifts that I've described, we're graduating more scholars and they're graduating with the type of experiences that says more of them are going to college. More of them are taking, for example, our CTE pathway. So they get a sense of the careers while they're in our district. And we're seeing that happening across racial groups. Also, when we look at parent engagement and, for example, our student-led conferences to see our parents participating in the way that they're participating feels good. I do this parent sort of district-wide parent Zoom and to hear parents in the chat box talk about the reputation that the district has established with them. Again, not perfect, but there's a trust that the parent community has developed. I think that's another high point. I would also say the fact that 70% of our scholars before they leave our district, the most diverse district in Washington, will have taken an advanced placement course is another pride point that we have. 
So you're going to hear me celebrate what I call these academic milestones, but you're also going to hear me celebrate these sort of social, emotional, cultural milestones of belonging. And the two together, that whole child approach is really what we're proud of. Thanks for listening to this School CEO Conversation. You can follow and reach out to Dr. Campbell on Twitter at SUP Campbell FWPS and learn more about Federal Way and their work on racial equity in the show notes. Subscribe to School CEO at schoolceo.com for more advice, stories, and strategies for leading your schools. School CEO is brought to you by Aptigee.